1 Peter chapter 4, let's read from verses 12 to 19, reading. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evil doer or as a busybody in other men's business matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it is first begin at us, what shall the end of them be? that obey not the gospel of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us all turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for seeing us through yet another week. We thank you for how you have kept thy people, answered many prayers, and Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all that. And now, even as we gather, we do seek once again your thorough cleansing and washing of all our sins. Lord, be merciful, show us our sins, cleanse us thoroughly, help us to repent and bear the fruits of repentance constantly. And Lord, we ask that you remove all the concerns of the weak, the troubles of life, the tiredness of the body, and Lord, help us to focus our minds and our hearts upon your holy word. Speak to us that we may know how to live on earth and be prepared for the things ahead. And Father, we pray that you feed your sheep in thy house tonight. Send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, open our eyes of understanding, and Lord, build convictions in our heart to live for our Saviour alone. Be with the youth 180. Lord, help them to know your word and to love you and to obey you. We ask and we pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the last time I was here, we talked about verses 12 to um, 14. Now, let us remember, the Bible tells us Think it not strange concerning fiery trial, which is to try you. Please remember that. The form of Christianity that says there are no trials after you become a believer. God only wants you to have a wonderful life. God wants you to have uh, blessings all the time. Well, it is contrary to scriptures. If it is only about physical blessings and all things will run smoothly, then, well, this verse cannot be true. Well, the Bible says, think it not strange. And not just fiery trial, and not just trials, but fiery trials. So Christian, maybe you are not undergoing fiery trials yet, but this is the word of God. Sooner or later, in one form or another, trials will come, and they may be fiery ones, very, very frightening, very painful, very severe, very overwhelming, like fire engulfing you. Fiery trials. But yet God says, now, please don't think it is strange. I remember a believer who, when this believer got saved, went through severe trials. And this believer said, why is it like that? I'm surprised because I thought now that I believe in the true God, things will be well. Instead, persecution from the family, severe ones, threats. Then these are verses that you have to give to them. And to ourselves, think it not strange, because we can think that it is strange. 
So believers, you may not reach that stage yet, but when the time comes, be prepared in your heart and say, this is not strange. And for what purpose? Actually, Thomas, for what purpose? Why are, why are there fiery trials in our lives? And God says, please don't think it's strange. Through us, God may be glorified. Right, very good. Yes, but why use fiery trials? Look at the verse. Howard. How does God glorify himself by sending fiery trials to us? Because if you're not familiar with this theology, when fiery trials come, you won't glorify God. Um, Yenwei. Very good. Look at verse, verse 12. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you. And he repeats again, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, and then he says, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. Now, how does God glorify himself in your life? And God says, please don't think it is strange when I allow that to happen. I will use trials. I will allow trials. And when you are tried, your response, of course, send you through fiery trials. If you respond wrongly, then you're not going to glorify God. Your response is what will glorify God. So if you ask, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Now, how do I glorify God? Well, we've been learning, be a good testimony, all right? Earlier on, we studied that in chapter 3. Much of it is about the testimony of the believer, right? Submission and so on in every aspect of life. Your testimony. But now he talks about, well, your response in trial is what will glorify God. So Christians, when you think it's strange, immediately prepare your heart, arm yourself. All right? Actually, chapter 4 begins with this. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Arm yourself. Arm yourself. Christ came to this world. Christ, God himself, fully expected to go through trials. And he knew that the trials was what would glorify God, even his crucifixion. All right? For him, it's the ultimate sacrifice. That sacrifice glorified God. And now to the believer, whatever it may be one day, unexpected, overwhelming, it could be a family crisis, it could be a job crisis, it could be a health crisis, it could be persecution, trials, whatever it is, the moment that happens where you say the chief end of man is to glorify God, this thing has happened in my life in order that I may have the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest upon me to glorify him by the way I will respond. That is very important. Once you think it's strange and you don't have this thought in your mind, you will complain, you will murmur. You will have self-pity and you will keep wanting God to remove it. That is all. Instead of saying, God, give me grace. May the Spirit of God rest upon me and give me the grace to go through this in a way that will glorify you by my response. Instead of saying, God, why is this happening? Why? I don't understand. Lots of why and why and why. Think it's strange, think it's strange, think it's strange. And Paul and Peter says it twice. Don't think it's strange. Arm yourself. Look forward to it. In fact, you know, Peter at this stage, he would be anticipating his crucifixion. He would not be thinking it strange. In fact, he was looking forward to it. I am going to glorify God. I failed him once. I am not going to fail him. So learn from Peter's experience. Peter, when under trial, denied Christ instead of glorifying him. If at that moment... He stood firm and said, this is my master. He would have glorified Christ. You mean even if you were going to be crucified with him, you would still call him your master? Yes. But instead, he denied Christ. He put Christ to shame. So Christian, don't think it's strange when the time comes, all right? Don't make decisions that will shame the name of Christ.
Alright, so please remember that was the key lesson that we had to learn. Sufferings in our lives are not strange. They are meant to glorify God. Now that is why the word strange is repeated. And the context is found in verse 14. If ye reproach for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Now that is blessing. Blessing. Does God promise blessing? Yes. The word happy is blessed. Alright. Does God promise blessing? Absolutely. And persecution and trials, fiery ones, are actually blessings. Are actually blessings. So Christian, we must have a totally different idea of what God allows into our lives. You may find it unexpected, inexplicable, you cannot understand. But God says, I've just blessed you. Is there a big trouble at work? Say some trouble you anticipate in your home, in your life, well, it is a blessing from God. Now, why? Because if you look at first, verse 14, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God, all right, so spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Resteth upon you. Chosen to come upon you. The spirit of glory. But of course, if you respond rightly, Look at verse 14, upon you and their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So Christian, please remember this. Whatever the outcome is, and this is what you must never forget under trials or when you're facing a great pressure in life. Now, if you respond in obedience to God, means you won't choose anything that is sinful. You will not choose a decision that is disobedient to God. Or you won't choose a decision that, well, helps you get out of bearing the name of Christ, the shame as a Christian. Now, if you choose to stand firm for his name, not deny him, do that which is right. Now, look at verse 14. God says, on their part, he is evil spoken of. So, yes, yes, you made that choice and you look stupid. You made that choice and the world laughs at you. All right, parents, you very often make choices for your children and even your own parents sometimes do not understand. Why, why do you make your child dress like that or, or make that choice when everyone else in the world, they don't care? So no, we have to obey God. Or whether it's your own choice. Now, and he says, on their part, he is evil spoken of. You may think in your heart, and don't forget, you may at that moment feel, maybe it's true. Now, if I just do what the world does, or if I respond as the world responds, you know, they may think well of Christ. Now, what Peter is saying here, on their part, he is evil spoken of, means indeed, it looks like Christ is evil. When you make a choice to obey scriptures, and then you have to forego certain things. It really looks like Christ, your God is evil. No, no religion expects that. What kind of God is your God? He, they will speak evil of him. And in your heart, you say, if only I, I could explain to them, but they will never understand. Maybe if I do what they expect me to do, if I live the way they expect me to live and make the choices they expect me to make, they may be thinking, yeah, you know, at least Christianity is not so stupid, right? You don't have to give up these things, right? You don't have to live like that, right? Now, please remember the context. Look, look at chapter 4, verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. What is he saying? You will really look strange to them, to the point where they will mock you and they cannot understand why do you spend your Sundays like that? Maybe even your Christian parents don't understand. Why do you give money to the church? Tithe. It's your hard-earned money. Or they go to places and they do things and say, why aren't you with us? You know, you'll never progress in your job if you don't do this. You know, Christianity is really a, a religion that doesn't work. They will say all these things and you will really think, Christ don't look so good here. I remember when I was young, I shared a gospel to, a, to an uncle, right? 
Um, I just got saved, didn't know how to share it very well, didn't know how to defend the truth, but I really wanted him to believe in Christ. I shared the gospel and he, he, he mocked me, right? He laughed and said, you know, young boy, don't be so foolish. Then he asked me a few questions. I said, no, you know, as Christians, we don't do that. The Bible says no. He said, you know, all these things are so foolish. You're young. These are not sin. Why is this religion like that? And he just kept saying, you know, Jesus Christ, he's a smart man. So he wrote, I told him about prophecies. People can anticipate these things. That is all, right? And say, you're young, study hard, make money. That is what you should aim for. Become like me, that kind of things, you know? I didn't know how to defend. Now, I remember the thought in my heart. I was a very young Christian. I thought, well, you know, it doesn't make Christ look good. And I almost wanted to agree with him and say, yeah, actually, maybe, yeah, maybe it's not like that. That thought was still clear in my mind. I was so afraid. And I thank God for his mercies. I did not agree with him. Um, I'll just, I just kept quiet. Wanted him very much for him to be safe. Was a close family friend. Now, actually, the thing is this. You do not need to. You do not need to try and make Christ look good. Because only last year, only last year, I heard that he got saved. Right? My sisters tried to reach out to him. He had cancer and I found that he became a believer. You see, when you realize the elect will be saved, as a Christian, you do not need to bring shame to Christ's name. Just say what the Bible says and leave them to think whatever Christianity is. Don't need to be ashamed or afraid. Well, he got saved, and in fact, the opposite happened. My sisters told me he was very broken-hearted on the phone. Instead of saying what he said to me when I was a young boy, he said the opposite to his own children. And he said, the only wish I had and the greatest regret I have in life is that my sons, they are not believers. He used to say, why do you believe in this, young man? Of course, he would say, I'll never let my children believe in this silly thing. Now, Christian, we do not need to be ashamed when reproached for the name of Christ. So, yes, he will be evil spoken of. Do not be tempted to agree with them. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't make our children like that. You know, grandpa and grandma don't understand. Maybe you make them turn, be turned off from Christianity. Now, the next, but look at verse 14. But on your part, he is glorified. What is God saying? On your part, he is glorified. It, the glory of God is not dependent simply on what man thinks of him. Please remember that. The glory of God is simply you showing the world who he is. That is all. They may mock him. But one day, they will see that he is right. We are wrong. Turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Right, have an honest life. Do not be ashamed of Christ. Be honest about it. Be truthful about it. They say, then they speak evil against you as evildoers. Then what? But one day they shall behold the glory of God in the day of visitation. Now, Christian, when you go through trials, when you go through pressure at work, in school, um, at home, among relatives, do not be tempted to try and make Christ look good in a way that is untrue. We are always wanting to make Christ magnify him, make him look glorious. But if that is not what he said, not his character, do not be ashamed of it. Just stick to it and what is it? on your part, he's glorified means the true God is made known. And he is glorified on your part because even at the expense of being reproached, embarrassed, mocked, you still own him as your God and true. Now, that is the greatest glory you can give to God. Remember that. Not what man thinks of him. 
that you remain true to his truth, whatever the cost to you, that is how God is glorified. One day, especially, when, when they will all see, oh, you mean, yeah, they were right, you know. This is the truth. Because on the day of visitation, on the day of judgment, when they all stand before God, everything will be clear in their minds. They may still hate God. They may still um, reject Him. They may still um, um, reject, uh, refuse Him. But they will bend their knee and say, you are God and your truth is the only truth. And when they remember that, they say, I still remember this person. No matter what I did to him, he stuck to your truth and he never, he never denied you. All right, so Christian, please remember that. So those were the things we studied. Don't be surprised when trials come. Look forward to it. It is part of God's plan in your life. Now, before we move on to today's verse 15, Christian, please remember this. God intends that sufferings be part of your life because sufferings and your response often shines brightest to the glory of God. Something happens in your family, your life, or in your health, whatever it is, versus everything is fine. You have whatever you want. Your life is smooth sailing. Even the devil went to God. Even Satan went to God. Shook his fist at God and said, Of course, Job obeys you. Right? Of course, Job obeys you. He is blessed. He's rich. He has children. He has properties. Of course, Job, Job obeys you. You know what he was, he was challenging? He was challenging the glory of God. Your people obey you because you bless them. It is not you, it is the blessings. And when God says, all right, then we will see. And what did, Christ, what did Job say? Well, even if he slay me, even if he slays me, right, I will still trust him. Do you understand? When God allowed the sufferings in Job's life, that was exactly what will bring the greatest glory to God. Even Satan after that have to bow his head in shame. I'm, I'm saying, all right, it's not in the Bible. Just bow in shame, his, his head in shame, his tail curled between his legs and go back to God here. You win, you win. But if you were Job, what would your response be? Whatever God allows in your life. Now then, you say, Lord, yes, I, I will. I, I look forward to suffering. But, now Peter clarifies another thing, all right? Now you look at verse 15. Now Peter clarifies. But let none of you suffer. Ah, he said, look forward to suffering. Yet he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's business. Now, he said, yes, look forward to suffering. It's the best way if you respond rightly to glorify God. But he said, please don't think every suffering is, is um, something that God sends to, and he will help you through it and he will strengthen you. Some sufferings are because of sin. All right, so now we go to question number one. In verses 15 to 18, what is the reminder for us when we are in trials? Well, the reminder in verse 15 is, make sure your suffering is not because of your sin. Well, please don't misunderstand me. If you know it is your sin, you, and you respond rightly, you submit to the chastisement of God, you confess, you bear the consequences of the sin meekly in submission to God instead of complaining against God. Well, that will also bring glory to God, of course, right? That will, because it shows, that, it shows to the world, it shows to other Christians, well, God is just. I deserve it and I will submit to it. He is sovereign and he is just in this punishment. Now remember David. David's life 
the initial part. His sufferings, his trials being persecuted, pursued by King Saul was not because of any sin in his life, right? You remember that. His response often glorified God well, to the point his soldiers, the people around him, they really respect, even the enemies of God, they respected him for his response. And remember even when, but when, but when he fell into sin, he fell into adultery and murder, then persecutions came. But he understood, right? He understood this is now different. To the point where, well, he had to escape. His own children wanted to kill him. He escaped out of the city. And then this wicked man threw stones at him, threw rocks at him and cursed him from the top of the hill. What did he say? When his soldier, when his general said, let me kill him for you. How dare this person abuse the king like that? What did he say? Just let him. Just let him. If this will, this will avert and this will satisfy the chastisement of God for my sin, then, then let it be. Let, let me take it. His response also glorified God, right? But now Peter is saying this. If ye be, rep uh, sorry, if ye be reproached by the, for the name of Christ, happy are ye, verse 14. But, let not, but don't let anyone suffer as a, as a sinful Christian, right? So that's the first reminder. That is the first reminder. Now he brings up things which are, like you say, murderer, thief, evildoer, busybody, so many other kinds of sins, right? Why this? Well, first and foremost, before we go into the details, the second thing we must learn is, now when we suffer um, unjustly, all right, when we suffer unjustly, now we can find excuse. We can find excuses. It is just for me, it is just for me to respond negatively, all right? Sometimes we find that there is an excuse to respond negatively to people. Now, the Christian must remember when at work, if you are very unfairly, very unjustly treated, don't take it as an excuse or a justified thing to do to be a murderer. Remember that. How can you be a murderer at work? Nathan, Nathan, how can you be a murderer at work? See, God says, don't suffer as a murderer. Can't think of it. Don't bring a knife to work. <laughs> These days is very dangerous. Or maybe kids. Kids bring knives to school nowadays. Matthew, how would you not be suffering as a murderer in school? Your dad is getting very worried. <laughs> Depending on your answer. How would you suffer? How would you become a murderer in school? Alright, your friend bully you. All right, they pour all sorts of dirty things from the drain on you. And every time you go to school, they, they spit on you, they call you all sorts of names and all that, all right? Then God says, well, thinking not strange, then suffer for, don't respond. But, but how would you end up becoming a murderer? You hate, you hate in your heart. Well, that begins. In our times, that is it. All right? But I don't think Peter is simply saying um, murderer then. But yes, that's a good example. I'll come to that soon. Now, see, it's easy for the Christian under such severe persecution. You killed my child. You hung my child up and turned my child upside down and cut off my child's head. Now, those are the things they really did in those days. Uh, please, know, please know the context of First Peter. It was a very terrible time. You took my wife and you put her alive on the pole and burned her and used her as a street lamp in Rome. That's what they did at that time. It's in history. You did all that and then you find there is a chance for them to now get back. The soldier is there. 
right? Like King Saul. His knife is there and he's drunk. I have a chance to take revenge and kill this person, premeditated. But it's just, God, because my child and my wife were killed in such wicked ways, right, God? It is just, correct? King David could, have, uh, David could have said that as well. It is fully justified for me to take Saul's life. Even the soldiers take his life now. No one will say anything about, about, about it. You are right. But he says, no. Who dares to touch the Lord's anointed? Well, it's easy for them to behave like that. So, same for you in school. Now, you can be a murderer by being a character assassinator in school, at work. All right, this person did all this to me. I go to work, I just, well, this is my chance, you know. This is my chance to get back. Now, instead of still behaving like a Christian, and the person know you, this is the chance for you to get back at him or her. But instead of seeing you behave as a Christian and don't take that opportunity to character assassinate him, kill him in front of the boss, in front of other colleagues, when you had a chance to, you knew, but you do it, right? You took the chance to malign and whatever, whatever you can do to pull the person down. And you think it's justified. So what Peter is saying, yes, I understand you're going through very unjust treatment, very unfair, but that is how you glorify God. Don't suffer as a murderer, right? Yeah, you do something, then after that you get caught. Oh, so you lied about that person. It was not true. You just want to sabotage your colleague, your classmate. Then you suffer as a murderer. It's not so much of you suffering as a murderer if you look at the context. Please understand this. Now it says in verse 13, When his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Yes, that will come the day. Now, but also, if you are caught being a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, Christ will also be revealed as what? As an evil God. His people are like that. Right? Oh, Christians. Christians are followers of Christ. Then Christians do this. This must be what their God teaches them. So, the point on verse 14, the reminder is, now whatever it is, whatever the opportunity is, do not retaliate. Don't be a murderer. Don't spread gossip. Don't to, to get back at the person. Even if it is true or not true, don't do it. All right? Murderer. All right? So, so um, um, Matthew, you understand? All right? So, you don't do anything in retaliation that will attack the person or pull the person down. Same at work, Nathan. All right? So, that is an example. But for them, it was, it was very tempting to actually, when they see the opportunity to really commit murder and think that it is fine in their situation, all right? Now, then what about, what about, look at verse 14. What about a thief or as a thief? Remember, their properties have been unfairly taken away, confiscated, made as property of Rome. Well, it's my property, right? And there's a chance you steal some things. Go back to your house and say, this was my house. It was unfairly taken from me. These are my things. I will just take it and go. You know how the Romans will be? No, this property is state property now. You are a thief. You say, but, 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 but. You see, what Peter is saying, it is very difficult. I know you sleep in the cold. You have your, 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 these things rightly belong to you, but now it's state property. Don't. Don't think it is justified. Just bear with it. For the name of Christ. You know how they will see? Some may be folding their hands at the side and say, these Christians, they have the chance to take all those things that they were theirs. Yes, it belongs to the state, but it should not in the first place. But they don't. They rather suffer. The glory of Christ's righteousness resides on you. Same at the workplace. You feel that that, that that position, you feel that that thing, you feel that whatever it is, is rightly yours. 
Maybe you feel your company shortchanged you, right? So you're the accountant or you're the cashier. Anyway, it's unfair treatment. It is unjust. So it's just for me just to take some money and keep it. Yes, they treated you unfairly. They should pay you more. But if it is considered stealing, even if it's rightly yours, don't do it. That is what it is. Will you go through all this? You see, when we are going through this kind of pressure in life, it is very easy to feel it is justified. It is justified. But, look at verse 14, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. What is Peter saying? Now, if it is true that you stole, although it was not Isa, it was your property, and now it is considered stealing, and you suffer, please don't think that the glory of God rests on you. Don't suffer because of that. That is what he's saying. Now, whatever it is, Christian, um, don't lie, don't cheat, don't be deceitful, even if the temptation is so strong to, for deliverance sake or for whatever sake. Right? So sometimes it may be, this will deliver me from my trouble in life. Or this is just. This is just. Now then, what else? Verse 14. Uh, sorry, verse 15. Or oh, as an evil doer. Now he just summarizes it. Anything that is evil, whatever that is not good, unrighteous, unjust, sinful, just don't do it. There is nothing that justifies the believer doing wrong. Because you think that it is, it is right in terms of you have been unjustly treated. If the law says so, then say so. All right? Now, I'm not talking about, about disobeying God. All right? If the law tells you disobey God, of course you don't disobey God. The word of God is clear. Shall we obey men or, shall we obey men or God? We always obey God. All right? But in these cases, well, if the law is stealing, then it is stealing. Don't. Whatever is the evil. Well, what evil can you think of? Whatever it is, sabotage someone, uh, malign someone, just drop some hints here and there um, to make the person look bad. The children will go and tell some stories to the teacher. This child did this, this child did that, that kind of thing to get back. Now, once you are exposed and you suffer, you get punished. Then Peter says, you're on your own. You deserve it and you should not have done that. I don't really, I'm not so concerned about you suffering now. I'm concerned about the name of Christ now. Don't suffer because of that. So when Paul says, when Peter says, don't let none of you suffer as a murderer, now he's not saying, I'm worried about your suffering because of your sin. He said, I'm worried about the name of Christ. Of course, he doesn't want them to suffer, but I'm more worried about the name of Christ. Now, so suffering, in other words, when you connect verses 13, verses 14 and 15, Suffering can lead you to sin or to glorify God. Suffering can lead you to feel it is justified, can lead you to give excuses to do something sinful. That is the warning. All right? Don't. Make sure you glorify God instead. Now, what happens today, my friends, is different times. We typically don't get this kind of persecution, not even a fraction of them, all right? Well, we are a country with freedom, so being a Christian, you don't really get persecuted like them, right? Maybe, yes, for certain of our beliefs, we, we get mocked at, we, we get flagged and all that. Yes, yeah, some. But today, Satan uses another tactic. Satan knows and have learned from Trials during Peter's time, the Christian became stronger. In history, we saw that. The Reformation time, when the, when the reformers broke away from the Roman Catholic Church and they were murdered, killed, burnt on the stake, all right, maimed, betrayed, he knew that because of that, Christianity grew even stronger. Satan understands that. 
Now, the danger for us today is, is a different kind of trial, a different kind of temptation and pressure. Different. Today, Satan uses the temptation of ease, a life of ease, comfort, pleasure, um, money. He uses those things to tempt you to sin, to tempt you to sin. And he has found over time that attacking the church with worldliness from within was far more successful than attacking the church with persecution from outside. So this temptation in our times is different. But the response is still to be the same. Don't do anything evil, my friend. Evil in the sight of men, not enough. Evil in the sight of God as well. All right? Remember that. Because sometimes men may not see the evil. But under certain pressure, you may do certain things that are evil in the sight of God. Like David thought that no one knew. It's just adultery. Who would know? And he tried to, to do all sorts of things to cover up. Evil in the sight of God is also not to be done. You will also suffer. Please know that. Because he will cover that in verse... Um, verse 17, all right? You will suffer. God will judge. Now, what are some of the examples that the Christian can do evil? You can get different pressures, all right? Why aren't you married? Why aren't you having children? Why aren't you promoted? Why aren't you working? Why aren't... I'm talking about people who our wives who we have children and chose to stay at home to love you. Why? why? You see, they will mock you. They will challenge you. They will pressure you. We can do evil. Now, thankfully, some Christians, when they're pressurized, why? Why don't you have children? Why don't you have children? And it's, go for IVF. Go for IVF. Go for IVF. You know, IVF, right? We covered that in Teens Q&A. When the Christians, they find out more, they were tempted to. And they felt very ashamed for not having children. And they, they didn't want to um, adopt because they feel that adopting is, is, still doesn't remove the stigma. I must have a child. So that kind of pressure is a different pressure. But it can be just as bad. Cannot sleep, cannot eat. Always at, at family gatherings, your heart is so heavy and so you feel so embarrassed. Very, very strong temptation. Well, we can secretly have IVF. Well, thankfully, some Christians, when they found out what IVF meant, what it is, it is mass murder, they understood that and said, then we will not do it. No matter what the pressure is, we will not do it. Now, Christian, we can do evil in many things when under pressure. All right? Whatever it is, you're tempted at this point of time to do, to lie, to cheat, to malign, to deceive, whatever it is, don't. The name of Christ. For eternity, your, what you did will be in eternity. We'll cover that a bit more afterwards, all right? Now, let's come to what? Busy body. Now, that is the odd one, right? Look at verse 14. <laughs> or a busy, eh, sorry, verse 15. Why do you keep saying verse 14? Verse 15. Or as a busy body in other men's matters. Now, this is a tricky one. What do you think it is about? Alex, what do you think it's about? Don't suffer as a busybody. Now, thief, murderer, thief, evil, all quite strong things. But busybody seems a bit out of place. Getting involved where you shouldn't be. Yeah, that's a good definition. Now, in fact, this word only occurs here in the New Testament, and it has the word, the, it has the word bishop in it. All right, episcopal. It has the word bishop in it. Means, bishop means overseer, all right? Controller, all right? Now, the only thing I can think of, but it, it cannot be just this, well, busybody go house to house being a, being a busybody in other men's business. Just want to find out things for curiosity. I don't think it is just that because why would you suffer for that, correct? Look at verse 15. But let not, let not of you suffer as a murderer. So there must be some consequence from the Roman soldiers or from the country, there must be some consequence. They don't have laws against being a busybody going house to house to find out things. 
Now, when then you look at the word, it means to oversee, all right? To be in control. Now, I think it is more than to do with don't seek to be in a, in a role, in a position that it is not for you to be in. All right? They said, why, why are there consequences in that? Now, they were going through sufferings. Now, if you look at the context, look at verse, um, verse 16. Immediately after that, he says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. It has to do to avoid the shame, to avoid the pain. Okay? Now then, the only thing I can think of is, now remember earlier he said, they will think it's strange that you don't run to the same excess of riot and then they'll speak evil of you. They were no longer supposed to be in that kind of company. They were no, they, they were no longer to be slaves that would, well, just obey the master and do what the master wants, even if it is sinful. They were not supposed to do that anymore. They were supposed to obey masters. They were supposed to obey governments. It was already mentioned earlier on. Now, but if, in order to avoid shame and pain, they began to run with people they should not run with anymore. They began to, well, try to be in certain position with their masters in society to avoid shame and pain. Now, remember the... Um, Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? In order for him to follow Christ, he had to stop running with the Pharisees. Now, initially, he was afraid and he was ashamed. What did he do? He's seeking of salvation. He went to Christ under the cover of darkness. He went to Christ at night alone. He was ashamed and he was afraid. And he knew that if other Pharisees were to find out, well, he will be an outcast. You are not going to run with us anymore. Your position will be taken away from you. The respect that you have from us and society and in this temple is all gone. Please, you are excommunicated. You are not religious leader anymore. Nicodemus was in certain position. Please remember that. He was, Christ called him a, a master of Israel. Busybody in other men's matters. All right? If you tell me my position is gone, then it's gone. I'm not going to pretend to be on your side, still meddle with this business of yours, and be, be, be on your side, and to get your, get your support. I'm not going to meddle in these things anymore. This is when God called me to be saved, and I am now his follower I'm not going to pretend and go after all these matters and want to, want to get involved so that I still have some status among men. I will be with these that are, that are called the outcasts and called the scum of the earth. I will be with them. It's fine. I don't have to meddle with all these things. I won't purposely go to the temple, purposely go to my master, purposely go to all these people in society that can give me some relief. I won't. I won't meddle in all this anymore. I just focus on my walk with God and if it brings me shame, brings me pain, so be it. And if that brings me, look at verse 15, suffering, if let none of you suffer, if that brings me suffering because I will no longer be involved in these things that I should not be involved in anymore, then so be it. Now, that's a big challenge to the Christian. I said, Satan no longer makes you suffer this kind of thing. You become a Christian. Which, which, which department in, in Australia will say, we'll take away your property? We'll take away your position? They don't. Yeah, sometimes you get fired for that, and then you, you raise it up, and they say, uh, uh, unfair firing, and then you get your job back. We don't get that kind of situation today. But how can this situation still be true in your life well he used satan will use the soft way because the soft way is the most difficult for you to resist sometimes the more the tougher it is the more you will be stirred up to do to to ignore all these things right say never mind i'll just follow christ 
the soft way. Temptations or positions. Because this is about no longer getting involved in, in, in roles, in positions that you should not be involved in. other men's things now, not me as a Christian. Well, the temptation at workplace, certain positions. Would you? Would you? All right? Take those positions, but you know, and it's very, 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 um, very tempting position. Well, um, you, you are going to travel in, in a first-class, business class all the way, and then you, you are going to well, turn up in newspapers, and then the gov- even the government will count out to you, and all that kind of things laid out before you. See, Satan no longer persecutes the Christian with tough ways. All those laid before you, but you know to meddle in that business, certain parts of your Christian life will have to go in order not to be reproached for the name of Christ. You have to go drinking with them, you have to go partying with them, you go to bars and nightclubs with them. If you don't go, you are going to be, well, not be successful or because of the names. And your boss will be angry at you. Now, all those pressure, you're facing all that. What are you going to do? Or maybe you have some other pressure. Well, or you don't have a job. Between all these wonderful things and no job. Now, that is the kind of pressure you face today. Would you rather suffer in not being in overseeing, being involved, being in control of certain things because it is not for you? Or will you just, I just want this, just this one thing, Lord, I just want this. Which would it be? Well, same for parenting. Same for Christian parents today. You know how difficult it is to bring up Christians, bring up your children, even in Christian schools. Now, some parents, they would willingly volunteer to serve in schools, in committees, so that their children will get certain preferences or certain treatment or remain in certain programs, and then they will volunteer. Right? They will be a busybody in other men's matters means they will take on these roles that are not meant for Christians in order, in order not to suffer and get what they want for themselves, for their children. Right, so now Satan comes to you in a very different way. How are you going to respond? Will you suffer as a sinful, suffer doing sinful things? Now, Will you really suffer? Now, let's, let's, let's move to question number two. Why is there a need for the reminder to the suffering Christian that there will be a great judgment awaiting? Why? Because, now, actually, maybe we answer question number three first, all right? Because it's more in order. I don't know why I mixed it up. Question number three. Now, from verse 16, what can cause us to fail God when under pressure? How would a Christian in such a situation glorify God instead? Look at verse, 15, verse 16. Now, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Right? As a Christian, eh? not as a sinner. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf, on this matter. All right? Now, if any man suffer let him, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Now, what would prevent us, cause us to fail God when under pressure? Shame. Because Peter have to say here, it seems to be there were some Christians that were ashamed. Ashamed of the name of Christ. Let, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Embarrassment for the name of Christ. Owning up the name of Christ. To be called a Christian. Now today as a Christian, maybe even quite, quite, is quite um, it is quite, what do you call that? Um, Quite good. He said, oh, you belong to uh, Christianity, quite respectable. And then the word Christian is not taken as the word Christian today. Please know that. Right? It is a very derogatory term. is a term to shame them. They are followers of Christ. The one that 
was crucified recently as a thief on the cross and died and could not help himself and was mocked in front of many people, spat on, rejected by his own Jewish people. So when they say Christian, that is what they mean, you know. Are you ashamed and embarrassed at your workplace to be owned up, to own up as a Christian? Are you? Mothers, when you bring your child to school, all right, drive your child to school, are you embarrassed to be identified as a Christian among other mothers? Or you just try to blend in, all right? Do projects with them. You don't want to say you're a Christian because you might want to do some things with them to be part of them, but they know that Christians don't do. So don't say that you're a Christian. Maybe you take up a job and you also do not want people to, be, to know that you're a Christian because you intend to do things that you know Christians shouldn't do in order to get ahead, in order to be part of a certain crowd. Shame. Let him not be ashamed. Embarrassment of the name of Christ is what will cause that. Now, what, what should you do then? How can you, what? How can you respond rightly in a way that would glorify God? How? Go through the shame. Just tell people. That's the best thing. When you join a company straight away, let people know that you're a Christian. Don't wait. The moment you wait, this will set in. Because soon you will hear them mocking Christians and say, oh, I'm going to tell them I'm a Christian. Sooner or later, they are going to mock Christianity. Sooner or later, you are going to take a stand about something. Let them know. The moment you're in school, you change school or you enter a new, a, new, a new school or go to university or go to high school, whatever it is, straight away, make sure people know you are a Christian. Own it up. Don't be ashamed. When you move into a neighborhood, let your neighbors know you're a Christian. Let it out first and foremost. And then after that, the half of the most difficult part to own the name of Christ is done. After that, you will stand. The grace of God will help you. All right? So, let's move to question number two. Right? Now, why is there a need for the reminder to the suffering Christian that there will be a great judgment awaiting unbelievers? Why? Hey, actually, before that, before that, Okay, now, so how to overcome this? I'm very embarrassed that I'm a Christian. I know how people in this company mock Christians, and I know how my, in this school they, they, they mock, mock Christians like me. Uh, it's very difficult, all right? Oh, those who just came over from Youth 180, this will awaken you. This is Shen Ray and, uh, and uh, Michelle, right? Now, we just studied last week, I think. What is this thing about Christ? Christ on the? No, not Christ on the cross. All right, then Michelle. Right, right hand of God, right side. Christ on the right hand of God. Remember? Christ at the right hand. Peter mentioned that. All right, you turn to First Peter. All right, and you look at chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Let's read together. Who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. You see, Peter painted to them, Christian, your Christ. He is not the meek lamb to the slaughter anymore. Please do not. I know that is your last image of him. Or those of you who did not meet Christ were born later. The last thing you remember and why we are mocked for is Christ crucified on the cross. Now he said, please stop having that, that, let that not be the only image. Yes, the image should cause you to love him. But I need you to have a new image of Christ who is resurrected in chapter 3 verse 21. He's in heaven now at the right hand of God means position of authority and glory and everything in this universe is under him. I need you to have that picture of him. That any time you feel ashamed to own him, you walk into a new workplace, you walk into school, you walk into this, this group of people, and you're ashamed. You say, let that image of Christ be in your mind when you own him as your God. I'm not asking you to be proud. I'm asking you what God says. 
have the right image of God. How can we be ashamed of Him? Right? So now, he, after telling them that Christ is highly exalted, help them to see everything in this universe is under Him, even these Roman soldiers, Roman Empire is under Him, they're nothing to God. Now, why would you be ashamed as a Christian? Question number three. Uh, question number two, sorry. Why is there need for the reminder for, to the suffering Christian that there will be a great judgment awaiting unbelievers? Look at verse 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Now, why do you think that Peter needed to talk to them about this. We will do the next few questions next week. All right? Because it's almost nine o'clock. I need to end a bit early tonight to handle some things. Let us all turn to God in prayer.